Well, good morning and welcome to Mount Calvary Church. And whether you're here in person or joining us online, we are so glad that you've chosen to spend a part of your Sunday morning with us. My name is Jonathan Whitmer, and I'm the executive pastor here. And I'm excited to continue our series in 1 Samuel, One True King. And uh, Pastor Matt and Pastor Ray and Ryan have done a great job so far going through this series, so I have big shoes to fill. And uh, I know that it's summertime and a lot of us are traveling for vacation, everything like that, but I encourage you uh, that you can listen to our sermons or watch them on, on Facebook or listen to them, go, go on Spotify or Apple Podcasts and, and listen. I encourage you to catch up and, and follow along with us as, we, as we've gone through this series. And in this series... Uh, we have seen in the beginning Baron Hannah praying to God that he would give her a son. And he answers that prayer, right? And gives her Samuel. She gives Samuel her son back to God in service. And Samuel serves with Levi, I mean, with Eli the priest in the temple as a young boy. And we see Samuel grow and, and, and the Lord is with him. And he becomes the prophet of the Lord uh, to speak to Israel. And. Uh, uh, and now here in the beginning of Samuel 12, 1 Samuel 12, we see that Samuel is old and gray. And the reality is all of us in this room are getting a little bit older, maybe a little bit grayer with each passing day. In the last week, two things have really got me feeling old. First of all, my firstborn, Haley, turned 20. How do I have a 20-year-old daughter? I mean, I can remember, uh, almost like it was yesterday, us moving to Elizabethtown to start our ministry here at Mount Calvary. I remember uh, uh, many people coming to get us settled in our house. I remember Steve Hilscher uh, setting up Haley's crib. And now she's 20, and I feel old. The second thing that happened on Friday, I, I went to the doctors for a pre-op appointment for ankle fusion surgery. I've had severe arthritis and uh, ankle pain and instability in my ankle for years from playing basketball when I was young and spraining my ankle, and I was your stubborn, typical stubborn male. Maybe some of you are married to someone like that, too. And I didn't go to the doctor and didn't go to the doctor. And I finally gave in and went to the doctor. And the doctor examined my ankle. And he says, looks at me and he says, how are you walking on that? And uh, why have you waited so long? And I said, doctor, I'm a guy. We don't go to the doctors. And so the routine cortisone shots have lost uh, their effectiveness. And so the pain in my ankle really starts started to limit my mobility and, the, and my life. I mean, because not only do I have a 20-year-old, but I have a 16-year-old son that I'd like to play basketball with, maybe not against, because I think he could beat me at this point. Uh, and I also have a six-year-old uh, guy that I need to uh, chase after for a few more years. And so, um, uh, and so on, on, you know, my ankle's been giving me a lot of problems, and I kind of hobble around like an old man. And so on September 1st, I go in for ankle surgery. So I appreciate Pastor Matt giving this old guy uh, the opportunity to talk about Samuel when he is old and gray here in chapter 12. And I hope that you have enjoyed us kind of watching Samuel grow up before us. And I hope it's encouraged you that no matter what stage of life you're in, God can use you if you're available, if you're willing and open and so if you haven't done so this morning, turn in your Bibles or your smartphones uh, to 1 Samuel 12. 
In 1 Samuel 9 through 11, we see that Saul has been chosen and anointed and recognized as the king of Israel. Last week, we've seen that uh, they've gone to battle. Saul led them in battle against uh, King Nahash and the Ammonites and defeated them. And here in, in, in 1 Samuel 12, we see this is Samuel's farewell address, kind of his last public words about this transition to their new king. Samuel was a judge of Israel. He was one that helped return the people to God, to, to return back to him and honor him with their lives and live righteous lives. And so this leadership change is now complete. No more judges. Israel has a new king. And so today we're going to work through 1 Samuel 12, verse by verse. And I want us to look at the current situation in Israel and then I want us to, to look at some specific conclusions that we can learn uh, from this text. So pray with me this morning. Father, we're grateful. We're grateful that we can gather here to, uh, together this morning as, as your body of believers. We're thankful for Jesus, the hope that we have in him. We're thankful for your word and the instruction that it gives us for our lives. So Lord, we pray that your word might be active and alive and challenge our hearts today. Lord, we pray that, uh, that your word would do the work by the power of your spirit to encourage us and challenge us and help us to be the men and women that you desire us to be. In Jesus' name, amen. And so here, the current situation in Israel, they are looking forward to this transition of leadership. Samuel's no longer the judge. He's replaced by Saul the king. And in verse 1, it says, And Samuel said, to all Israel, behold, I've obeyed your voice in all that you've said to me and made a king over you. And now behold, the king walks before you, and I am old and gray. It's a time of transition, and maybe you're in a time of transition. Maybe it's at work. Uh, maybe it's at school where you're uh, starting a new school, or you're going from elementary school to middle school, or middle school to high school, or high school to college. Maybe you're at a time of change in your family or with your friends. Maybe some are moving on, or, or some have passed on. We all maybe face transition at some point in time, and it's hard because we move from something that we're familiar with to the unknown. Transitions are hard, but they can be healthy or they can be heartbreaking. And unfortunately, Israel's transition in our text is not healthy, but it's heartbreaking. Samuel the judge is replaced by Saul the king. And as I read this passage, my heart breaks for Samuel. I mean, he's given his life to serve the nation of Israel. He's been faithful in serving God and serving the nation. And now that he's old and gray, he's expendable. They're done with him. They want a new leader a different leader, a younger leader. He's not only replaced personally, but Israel's leadership structure is replaced. They go from the judges to now a king like all the nations around them. So my heart breaks for Samuel, but my heart also breaks for the people of Israel. They no longer want to be different. They no longer want to be set apart, but they want to be like all the other nations around them. Give us a king like all those other nations. And how did Israel get to this time of heartbreaking transition? Well, if you're with us when we looked at 1 Samuel 8, you'll see the, how it happened. Samuel was hoping that his, that his sons would follow in his footsteps and be the next judges of Israel. 
But 1 Samuel 8 tells us that they were not qualified to lead because they didn't walk in Samuel's ways and they perverted justice. Because of this, the elders of the Israel, they came to Samuel and they asked, hey, your sons aren't going to cut it as judges. So give us a king. Give us a king. We want a king. Samuel found this disturbing and displeasing. And so he cries out to God for direction and for help and guidance. And God answers his prayer with this heartbreaking revelation and instruction. Look at 1 Samuel 8, 6. But the thing displeased Samuel when they said, Give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed to the Lord. And the Lord said to Samuel, Obey the voice of the people and all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. Heartbreaking. They have not rejected you, but God says they have rejected me from being their king. It's a heartbreaking time of transition from Israel as they look ahead to this new way of life, this new leadership. It's heartbreaking. But not only do they look ahead to transition, they're looking back at some evaluation. And I don't know anybody who really loves evaluations. I know it's August, and I don't want to give any stress or to students, but like, you don't like to have tests in school, do you? Like, you don't miss them during the summer. Nobody likes tests. Uh, at work, no, none of us like, you know, to be evaluated on our job performance. If you have people who report to you, you, you might not even like to do their evaluation. But why do we have evaluation? Because it's helpful. It's beneficial. It shows us where we can improve and learn and grow. There, there's purpose behind it. So here we see a time of evaluation, first of all, for Samuel. Samuel comes through the evaluation pretty good. He was faithful and righteous. We see Samuel obeyed God. He obeyed God from a young child. In 1 Samuel 3, we see God calls to Samuel three times during the night. And the first two times, he goes and runs to, uh, to, to Eli, thinking Eli's calling him. And finally, that Eli helps him to realize that it's God's calling him. And the third time when God calls him, he responds and says, Speak for your servant hears. Samuel's open and available to serve his God. He obeyed God from when he was young till now when he's old and gray. Here in 1 Samuel 12, we see that Samuel obeyed God by giving the people the king that they wanted. Samuel's entire life was focused on serving God. He obeyed God, but he also acted with integrity. Look at verse 3. Samuel says, Here I am. Testify against me before the Lord and before his anointed. Whose ox have I taken? Or whose donkey have I taken? Or whom have I defrauded? Whom have I oppressed? Or from whose hand have I taken a bribe to blind my eyes with it? Testify against me and I will restore it to you. And they said, you have not defrauded us or oppressed us or taken anything from any man's hand. And he said to them, the Lord is witness against you and his anointed is witness this day that you have not found anything in my hand, and they have said, he is witness. All his life, Samuel has walked with integrity, conducted his life with integrity, conducted his ministry with integrity in the public eye under their constant scrutiny. He's faithfully led Israel for all these years. But Samuel not only states that fact, he asks them questions, right? He's like, I think I've been a pretty good leader but what do you think? And he asks this, them all these questions, and the people respond, affirming to the fact that he has acted with integrity. 
They say, hey, you've not used your authority to abuse those who you were leading. You've not misused your power to oppress others for your own personal benefit. You've not exploited others with your position and been deceitful in your dealings with the people. So the people respond and say, hey, you have led us with integrity. You've done a good job. And this is so much different than Samuel's warning to the people in 1 Samuel 8 about what would happen if a king would lead them. Do you remember that? He said the king would take your sons and daughters. He would take your best fields and vineyards. He'd take a tenth of your crops and your flocks. He would take your servants, and ultimately he'd take you, that you would be his slaves. And when you cry out to God, he would not hear you. I mean, in comparison to that, God's way of leadership and, and Samuel's legacy doesn't sound too bad, does it? But the people thought they knew better. They wanted a king. They wanted a king. Samuel was faithful and righteous, but as we evaluate Israel, they're fickle and rebellious. And Israel has a history of disobeying God. Look at verse 6. And Samuel said to the people, The Lord is witness who appointed Moses and Aaron and brought your fathers up out of the land of Egypt. Now therefore stand still that I might plead with you before the Lord concerning all the righteous deeds of the Lord that he performed for you, for your fathers. When Jacob went into Egypt and the Egyptians oppressed them, then your fathers cried out to the Lord and the Lord sent Moses and Aaron, who brought your fathers out of Egypt and made them dwell in this place. Samuel says, stand still. Stand still. To translate that in contemporary language, put down your phone. Take out your AirPods. Look at me. Listen to me. Focus. I want to tell you something. And he gives them a little history lesson. He tells them, remember all the righteous acts of God that he's done to deliver you from danger. Don't forget those. And God did this because he loved and he cared for his people. And he starts with the greatest example of God caring and delivering for his people, how he delivered them from Egypt, how he sent Moses and Aaron to help them get out of Egypt, escape from Egypt. But Samuel goes on and says, but they forgot the Lord their God, and he sold them in the hand of Sisera, commander of the army of Hazor, and into the hand of the Philistines, and in the hand of the king of Moab, and they fought against them. And they cried out to the Lord and said, We have sinned because we've forsaken the Lord and served the Baals and the Ashtaroth. But now deliver us out of the hand of our enemies that we may serve you. And the Lord sent Jerubbabel and Barak and Jephthah and Samuel and delivered you out of the hand of your enemies on every side, and you lived in safety." Somehow Israel not only forgot God's faithfulness, they forgot God. They started worshiping and following after all the other gods of the nations around them. And Samuel mentions Israel's track record in the time of the judges. Time and time again in the book of Judges, we see the people disobeyed God. By doing what was evil in the sight of the Lord, they turned their back on God. They disobeyed God. And that sin led to God punishing Israel for their disobedience. And God used the other nations to punish them. And he mentioned some of them. Sisera, the commander of the Canaanite army, in Judges 4. The Philistines is Judges 13. The king of Moab in Judges 3. God used the other nations to punish Israel's disobedience. And after God would punish Israel, what would they do? 
They'd cry out and plead to God for, for help and for deliverance. And God would graciously respond. And he'd raise up a deliverer, sending judges to come and help the people escape from their enemies, defeat their enemies. Judges like Jerubbabel or Gideon in Judges 7, Barak in Judges 4, Jephthah in Judges 11, and even Samuel, Israel's final judge. So all throughout Israel's history, you see the same cycle. Disobedience and punishment and pleading and deliverance. Here in 1 Samuel 12, 9 and 10, Samuel says, their forgetting leads to forsaking. Their forgetting leads to forsaking. The people forgot God. They disregard and ignored him. And when the people realize that, they cry out to God, saying they've forsaken God, that they have deserted trusting and following him. So Israel has a history of disobeying God. But we also see Israel acted with insecurity. Look at verse 12. And when you saw that Nahash, king of the Ammonites, came against you, you said to me, No, but a king shall reign over us when the Lord your God was your king. And now behold, the king whom you've chosen, for whom you've asked, behold, the Lord has set a king over you. Remember last week in 1 Samuel 11, we see the aggression of the Ammonites and King Nahash. The threat was real. And the people stopped relying on God to be their one true king. And in their fear and in their security, they say, hey, God, give us a king to deliver us. Not God, deliver us, but hey, give us a human king to help us come to victory. They were insecure. So God, through Samuel, gives them what they want. He gives them a human king, Saul. Samuel goes on in verse 14. It says, if you'll fear the Lord and serve him and obey his voice, and not rebel against the commandment of the Lord. And if both you and the king who reigns over you will follow the Lord your God, it will be well. But if you will not obey the voice of the Lord, but rebel against the commandment of the Lord, then the hand of the Lord will be against you and your king. And even though God gives them a human king, he makes it very clear, the authority structure, right? He makes it very clear that he is the ultimate authority. He's the one that they should worship and follow. But the people in Israel and the king, they're called to honor and obey God and his commands. God's still gracious and, and, and merciful with Israel. He gives them another chance, even though they've asked for this human king. And he says, hey, it will go well with you if your king and the people obey me and follow my guidance. But if you and the king disobey me and turn your back on me, it will lead to disaster and suffering. Samuel then asked the people again to stand still and watch with their own eyes how powerful God is, their one true king. Look at verse 16. Now, therefore, stand still and see the great thing that the Lord will do before your eyes. Is it not harvest today? Is it not the wheat harvest today? And I will call upon the Lord, and he will send thunder and rain. And you shall know and see that your wickedness is great, which you have done in the sight of the Lord, in asking for yourself a king. So Samuel called upon the Lord, and the Lord sent thunder and rain that day, and all the people greatly feared the Lord and Samuel. A few weeks ago, my family was on vacation at the beach, and we've gone to the, to the beach. Uh, I can't remember when we haven't gone to the beach in the summers, and it's natural when you're at the beach for a thunderstorm to kind of blow in, right? It happens from time to time. It's happened many years when we were at the beach. A thunderstorm shows up, and it blows in, and it quickly kind of, you know, follows suit and, go, and goes away. 
and it's no big deal. It's common for thunderstorms to happen in July at the beach. But here in Israel, it's late spring, early summer. It's the wheat harvest time. It's the dry season. It doesn't rain in Israel. It doesn't rain. It's the dry season. And thunder and, and rain at this point would be like when you're at the beach in July and you get a snowstorm. It doesn't happen. And yet, God sends thunder and rain to show the people that he is their ultimate authority, to show his power, to show that he's the one that they should worship. And in doing so, it, again, it expresses Israel's wickedness, their insecurity in turning to a human king and not fully trusting God as their one true king. God sends the thunder and the rain, and the people of Israel fear and revere the Lord and Samuel. It's a time of evaluation in Israel. And Samuel, he's been faithful and righteous, and Israel's been fickle and rebellious. So that's the current situation when Saul became king almost 3,000 years ago. So you might be thinking, so why the history lesson this morning? What's, what's so important about this? Well, first of all, I think it's easy for us as believers today, having the full scriptures in front of us to pile on the Egyptians, I mean, pile on the Israelites, right? It's easier for us to look at them and say, how could they disobey God? How could they not trust him? How could they turn their backs on him? And in reality, if we're honest, we do the same thing each and every week. We don't trust him. We don't follow him. We don't obey him fully. And so as we think about that, we're just like them. And so I think we need to ask her, what does this teach us uh, today? What, what can, how can we apply this to our life? And so as we close this morning, I want to look at three specific conclusions uh, or reminders that we can take away. The first one is this. We're needing forgiveness. We're needing forgiveness. Look at verse 19. And all the people said to Samuel, pray for your servants to the Lord your God that we may not die, for we have added to all our sins this evil to ask for ourselves a king. And Samuel said to the people, don't be afraid. You have done all this evil, yet don't turn aside from following the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart. It's a critical point in the nation of Israel. They've forsaken and forgotten their one true king. They've turned their backs on him. They've recklessly chosen this human king to be their savior, to, to, to be like the other nations around them. And God's always been faithful to his people. He's always been good, and, 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 his, and Israel's always responded to God's goodness and grace by chasing after their sinful desires and the things of this world. Sin brings death, and they need to go to God for forgiveness. And so in verse 19, we see Israel's confession. They say, we've added to our sins this evil to ask for ourselves a king. Now, it's important to realize having a king wasn't necessarily sinful. It wasn't wrong for them to have a king, but they sinned when they elevated the king to the position in their lives that only God should take to be the one that they trust and follow fully. And God uses Samuel to help the people clearly see that this new king has been the one that they put all their hope and trust in, and they've lost sight of God. And their sins alienated them from God, and they need forgiveness. And so we see them confess their sin, confess that they've got the authority in their lives a little bit messed up. 
And then Samuel calls them to repentance in verse 20. Says to the people, don't be afraid. You have done all this evil, yet don't turn aside from following the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart. Samuel, patient Samuel, who's been replaced, who's been discounted, who's been not wanted to be their leader, comes alongside and says, don't lose heart. It's not hopeless. Don't give up. The people of Israel have turned aside from the right path of following God and being faithful to him and his commands. And Samuel tells them, hey, repent of your sin. Repent of your sin. A few weeks ago in 1 Samuel 7, Pastor Matt gave us a great definition of what repentance is. He said this, repentance is not about what you're avoiding, but it's about what you get to pursue instead. Literally means to change your mind. It's changing your mind and your heart about your love, your allegiance, and your life's purpose. Samuel tells the people to repent. And let's be honest, we're like the Israelites. We're all like the Israelites. We need forgiveness because we forget and forsake our one true God, and our one true king, and we follow after these phony kings. And in 1 Samuel 4, Ryan reminded us at the beginning of our series that the human king we're tempted to replace God with is us. It's us. We sit on the throne of our lives. The struggle is real. In our heads, we realize that, that God should be the one that, that sits on our throne. He deserves to sit on the throne of our lives, but in our hearts, we want to be in control, and we want to call the shots, and we want to make the decisions. We want to be our king. We're needing forgiveness. We need to confess and repent of our sin. Second thing I think we see from this passages, continuing faithfulness. In spite of their sin, God is patient and faithful with Israel. He doesn't give up on them. Look at verse 22. For the Lord will not forsake his people for his great name's sake, because it's pleased the Lord to make you a people for himself. Moreover, as for me, far be it for me that I should sin against the Lord by ceasing to pray for you, and I will instruct you in the good and right way. Unfaithful Israel, time and time again, has forgotten and forsaken their one true king. But God was faithful. He didn't abandon them. He doesn't turn his back on them. In spite of their sin and turning aside, God would honor his covenant promise with his people. He loves his people. He will save his people in spite of their sin. And Israel knew the covenant terms, right? He knew, they knew if they would obey, it would go well, that God would bless them. And if they disobeyed, it wouldn't go well. It brings suffering and disaster and punishment. What the Lord planned to do, he will complete because he is God. His ways are perfect and his purposes will come to pass. God would not reject his people because of the, uh, the covenant that he made with them, because he's faithful to keep his word. And God's purpose was to use Israel to bring glory to his name among the nations. God would honor his covenant. He would keep his covenant. He would be gracious and faithful. So God sends Samuel to help deliver and direct them. And it's interesting, Samuel says, hey, I'm not going to quit interceding for you. I'm not going to quit praying on your behalf. And look at verse 19. Samuel's, the people asked Samuel to pray to your God. I mean, that's how bad it's gotten in Israel. It's no longer their God. They've turned their back and walked away. They go to Samuel and say, pray to your God. We're in trouble. We've really messed up. We've really sinned. We've walked away. You need to pray to your God. 
for deliverance. And in, in verse 23, Samuel reassures them that he will not stop interceding and praying on their behalf. And not only will Samuel continue to intercede for them, he'll continue to instruct them, speaking the truth of God's word into their life. And listen to the truth, to the good and right a way that he shares with them in verse 21. My grow group was reading 1 Samuel uh, before trying to get ahead of our series. And when we read this passage, this verse gripped me. And do not turn aside after empty things that cannot profit or deliver, for they are empty. Samuel clearly tells them, don't depart from following their one true king. Don't go in the opposite direction after empty things. And the empty things are the phony gods and the pathetic idols of this world. And an idol is anything that replaces the one true God in our lives. It takes our focus and our attention and our passion and our worship and following phony gods, pathetic idols, never pay off because they never deliver on their promises. It always sounds so good, but it never delivers. Never delivers. God continued to be faithful to Israel and to us in spite of our sin, in spite of the fact that we forget and forsake him. He doesn't abandon us. And the final specific conclusion this morning is choosing to follow. Israel has the ongoing choice of who they will choose to follow with their lives. Will they follow their one true king? Who will be their one true king? The nation's leadership has transitioned and shifted from, from Samuel the judge to Saul the king. And Samuel has this drop-the-mic moment here. Uh, he may be old and gray, but he's still pretty sharp. And he has this drop-the-mic moment where, where he tells them to recognize and respond. First, recognize. You, hey, Israel, you've got to recognize, verse 24, for consider what great things he has done for you. In spite of your failures, in spite of your sin, God has been faithful. He's done great things for you. And we talked about a few of them this morning. God delivered them from slavery in Egypt by sending Moses and Aaron. God delivered them in spite of their unfaithfulness in the time of judges by raising up people to deliver them from the nations around them. Time and time again, God has been merciful and gracious and faithful to act on the behalf of his people. And the same is true for us. The same is true for us. God sent Jesus, his son, to die on the cross for our sins, to pay the price for our sins, to rescue us from the slavery of our sin. And even though we're unfaithful, even though we didn't deserve it, even though we couldn't do it on our own, he loved us enough to send a savior in Jesus. And God has been mercifully patient, mercifully patient and gracious to forgive our many failures. And there are many. Time and time again, we fail, and he will forgive us if we come to him. And Satan, the evil one, he wants us to, to believe that, you know what, we've exhausted God's grace and his mercy, that our sin is so bad that he will not forgive it. It's unforgivable. And if you ever find yourself with that lie stuck in your head, listen and remember the words of Dale Routh Davis. Don't think that the grand mistake that has disfigured your life is the first disastrous sin God has seen. Yes, God hates sin. He does hate sin. But no sin is too shocking. No sin is too big that he's not willing to forgive if we go to him and confess and repent of it. And yes, sin has consequences. 
but he will be with us and help us walk through those consequences and learn and grow through those consequences. We are not alone. He will not abandon us. We have hope. And he's waiting for us to return or turn to him. God has done great things for Israel, and he's done great things for us. He's been faithful to save us from our sin because of Jesus. And every day we should recognize Every day we should stop and be amazed. Every day we should be in awe of God's amazing grace. And I don't know about you, but life can be so busy and life can be so loud and life can have so many distractions that it's really hard. It's really hard to take some quiet time just to be amazed at God's goodness and his grace and his mercy. And so Samuel says, hey, you've got to recognize, Israel, that God is, God's amazing. He's amazingly faithful. He's willing to forgive you. He's been patient with you. He hasn't turned his back on you. He's right there. He didn't move. You did. And he's waiting for you to return. And then he tells them to respond. In verse 20 and verse 24, he says, Don't turn aside from following the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart. And only fear the Lord and serve him faithfully with all your heart. He says, Fear the Lord. Fear the Lord. Be in awe of the goodness of God and his power. Recognize the great things that he's done for us and revere and love and adore him. Worship him. Be grateful for that. And that fear of the Lord should should flow naturally in for us to making the choice to serve him faithfully with all of our hearts. Samuel twice reminds the people they need to choose to follow God and serve him with all their hearts. This isn't a half-hearted commitment. This is a single-minded dedication to live a life devoted to serving God. This weekend, I got a great example of what single-minded devotion looks like. Uh, Wesley, on a switch, got to the Happy Home Paradise expansion pack for, for Animal Crossing. And if you want to talk about single-minded devotion, every conversation at home with Wesley is about Happy Home Paradise. I'm building this house, and I have this guy, and I do this. He wakes up in the morning, and it's single home paradise. He goes, and when he goes to bed at night, he's like, I can't wait to get up the next morning because I want to play sing- Happy Home Paradise. That is single-minded devotion. And we laugh about that, and it's funny, but I was thinking about that. It was also challenging. Do I have that single-minded devotion to serve and follow my one true king? Do I respond to his overwhelming faithfulness and forgiveness by choosing to give him my life and serve him with everything that I have? Am I single-mindedly focused and devoted to serve him? Throughout the New Testament, we're reminded that Jesus, the Son of God, is the King of kings. He is our one true king. And so the challenge for us today is the same challenge that Samuel had for Israelites here in 1 Samuel 12. Who will we choose to follow? Who we choose to follow? Every day we make choices with our lives. We choose what we want to do, and those choices impact the direction of our lives. We all make choices. So the challenge for us this morning is this, and I want to leave you with this question. Are we serving and following Jesus, our one true king, or are we running after empty things? How are we living our life? What's the single-minded, single-focused devotion of our lives? What is it? Are we serving and following Jesus, our one true king, or are we running after empty things? You know, I joked in the beginning that uh, I was grateful this old guy got a chance to talk about Samuel when he's old and great, but the reality is none of us know how much 
uh, of a life that God gives us to live. We don't know if tomorrow, tomorrow's not guaranteed. All we have is today. And so the challenge for us is how am I going to use today? What's the focus of the time that God has given me today? Is my single-minded focus to serve and follow Jesus? In a moment, and the band, I'm going to invite the band to come up, and in a moment we're going to spend some time in silent confession and then celebrate communion together. Hopefully you've gotten a communion cup on the way in. If not, Pastor Ray will be around to kind of distribute them. But to every, month, every month we celebrate communion. It's a time for us to remember the amazing grace that Jesus showed us on the cross, that he uh, came to earth, lived a perfect life, and he went, the cross to, went to the cross to die for our sins, paying the price and penalty for our sins. And so as we, as we prepare for that, if you're here and you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you put your faith and trust in Jesus, we invite you to participate with us and celebrate Jesus' great work at the cross. But now I want to take us, I want us to take some time in silent confession. I want us to examine, examine our hearts and lives, ask God to help us examine our hearts and lives and, and get right with him. And maybe there's some sin in our lives. Maybe there's some things that we need to confess and repent. Uh, maybe we need to take some time and just ask God to, uh, to really help us see if who's the focus of my life. Am I serving my one true king? Am I serving and following Jesus, my one true king? Or am I following after empty things? Just take some time and spend with God, and then we'll come together and we'll celebrate communion and we'll close our service by singing.